life and life only. So, here we are. I thought I'd tell you what's been happening with me and this podcast in the last couple of weeks. Or not happening, as the case may be. So I put the intro episode out just under two weeks ago. And I'd been fussing a little bit over the artwork and the the font for the artwork. And it was a great relief to put that first episode out. And it was the start of a what's going to be, I'm sure, a great journey for me and hopefully for you. So I'd give myself this wonderful palette, Life and Life Only, a podcast about life. Never going to run out of material, as I said in the first episode. And I started writing down topics. And I think I mentioned some of them in the first episode. And I thought of people I wanted to talk to. And then the funniest thing happened. I froze. And I don't want to make this sound at all dramatic, particularly considering what's been going on for the last almost a year, regardless of who you believe and what you believe. It's clearly something devastating has been going on. But, you know, in in my own little world, (laughs) my own little podcast world, I'm very, very confident in what I'm going to put out and the fact that I've got plenty to put out. But here, I think I'd given myself such a wide berth that that inhibited me. And I'm reminded of a TED Talk called The Paradox of Choice. Quite a good one. Like most TED Talks, it's a little bit too short to really do the subject full justice, but it's a nice introduction. One of the things in it, he talks about goldfish and the fact that if you smash the goldfish bowl, obviously the goldfish will fall out, fish out of water, and will die fairly soon. Obviously you can put it in another tank or in the bath or whatever you want to do with it, but uh, essentially the idea is that when you're completely free, sometimes that isn't the greatest thing. Freedom is not going to be the topic of this episode, but the point I'm trying to make is that structure and, let's say, limitation are not always bad things. And sometimes total freedom can be an inhibitor. So one of my ideas was to make a podcast about not knowing what to podcast about. And that was inspired by a memory of being in an English class at school. I think we were about 13 or 14. And there was a boy, Anthony Harris, his name was. And we all came to consider him as something of a genius. I don't generally use that word, but someone who had something a little bit special. Again, to go back to John Lennon, he had some of the qualities that John Lennon apparently had, you know, of being quite wayward, rebellious, not seeming to care too much what happened, but also having a, an intellectual edge and intelligence. Anyway, in this English class, the teacher told us that we had to write an essay We hadn't been told about this, but she said, right, you've got 45 minutes. No one can talk. Here's a pen and paper. Write an essay spontaneously. I'll collect them in 45 minutes and the class is over. So uh, there was a mild sense of panic in the class. I used to like English, so I've always enjoyed writing. So I wasn't too worried about it, although I don't remember anything about the essay I wrote. So perhaps it wasn't too spectacular. But anyway, so we did this and she took took in the essays and then the next class she said I want to read out the best of the essays by far and it was this boy Anthony and he'd done a very clever thing he'd written an essay about sitting in the classroom not being able to write an essay not knowing what to write this is the late 80s (laughs) this is over 30 years ago I don't remember too many of the specifics of what he wrote but uh, you know he started it by saying right I've got 45 minutes to write an essay 
And then I think for memory, he wrote it in the present tense called The Dramatic Present. So in his essay, he wrote 45 minutes. I start to sweat. I start to worry. My pen doesn't move very well across the paper. And then a bit later, 40 minutes, the teacher sits at her desk with a stern expression on her face. I start to try and write. No thoughts come in my head. And it goes on and on. And then the end of his essay was, the teacher goes to collect our papers. A tear comes down from my eye. And I thought that was so clever. Brilliant irony. I think 13, 14-year-olds generally have a strong sense of irony. Certainly wouldn't be aware of it if they did. So that was impressive. So anyway, um, I did want to tell you about the fact that uh, having set up the conditions for this podcast, I then had trouble. The other day I, I sat down to do this episode and suddenly I couldn't think too clearly and suddenly other things that I'd been procrastinating about seemed easier to do. I actually developed a, what I call the procrastination law. So when I was in um, Spain, for example, probably the thing that took the most effort to do was to study Spanish, because I was learning Spanish anyway, just by being in Spain and everybody speaking Spanish. So to actually sit down and try to rise above the cosy intermediate level of Spanish I'd attained quite quickly was not easy but then the other thing that I used to find an effort was preparing my English classes and what I found was that when I sat down to study Spanish suddenly preparing English classes seemed easier so actually as a friend of mine said rather than mind over matter it's mind over mind and I sort of trick myself cheat myself and you can do this with yourself, you can cheat your moods. You know, when you're young and idealistic, anything that seems like cheating, anything that doesn't seem authentic, seems like something you shouldn't do. But, you know, if you feel like you're in a bad mood, and particularly if you start telling people you're depressed, and I'd argue that depression, the actual diagnosis of depression, would be something along the lines of chronic depressive moods. But most of us have depressive moods. But, for example, if you feel, oh, I'm depressed, and then you watch a comedy show for half an hour, and after that comedy show you don't feel sad anymore, you've cheated your mood, you've hacked it, to use 21st century parlance. But there's nothing wrong with that. So anyway, this procrastination law works quite well. And uh, I sort of used it in this case. I thought of something that uh, was even more difficult to to do at this moment I don't think doing this podcast now as I'm sitting here this is great, I'm enjoying it I'm in my element so to speak but uh, so in the last week or so I've worked very hard at my other podcasts, the John Lennon one and the film one, because it suddenly seemed easier, because I'd hit this brick wall about doing this life and life only podcast so anyway I was talking about limitations and obviously when you're setting out to start something whatever it is often getting started is the most difficult thing the first step is the hardest etc and uh, for example I used to be an okay chess player 20 or so years ago and as I've got older I've started to think I would really like chess to be part of my life for the rest of my life and I always feel like chess is a perfect game for me I like thinking, I like to sort of think ahead if I can, predict things or intuit things before they happen. 
I quite like doing stuff on my own that I can get immersed in. And obviously you can play chess against other people or you can play chess against a computer. But where do you get started? How do you start to play chess? I think if you've never played it in your life, you can kind of get a beginner's book and, you know, learn what all the pieces are and learn the rules. But when you've actually played something for a while and then put it down and you have to try and pick it back up again, sometimes you just don't know where to start. You can't, you're maybe even too focused on the finish line, perhaps. So the advice is always baby steps. See, I say to people all the time, you don't have to come up with anything new. All the best wisdom and advice and philosophies of the world has already been said. You know, I've just used a couple then, you know, the first step is the hardest, baby steps, etc., etc. It's all been said. All I'm probably going to be doing in this podcast is collating all the things I've learned and I'm going to have some guests on, for sure. In fact, it may turn out to be mostly guest episodes, episodes with guests. don't know. Like I said in the intro, the wonderful thing is I don't know where this is going to go. Anyway, I did find a topic. I had a blog for a couple of years, from 2013 to about 2015. I have added to it a couple of times in the last few years, but essentially I stopped writing it because writing is quite a, a lonely thing. You know, I can't. I've tried many times to write a novel, and I've still got the idea in my head, but it's been in my head for nearly 20 years now. And even just writing a blog post. I remember writing one, and I started at something like 2 or 3 in the afternoon, and I think it was autumn, probably October, November. And I got very into it. Like, it was hard. Again, it was hard to get it started. Then I wrote it, and I wrote the whole thing in about four or five hours, including researching it as I was going. And then I looked out the window, and suddenly it was dark, and I suddenly had this awful feeling of sort of mourning the loss of those four or five hours. You know, I'd use them productively, but it feels like podcasting doesn't quite have that loneliness that writing has. The other reason I didn't really continue my blog was that I felt like I was essentially making the same point. And the blog was called Free Thinker. It was nothing to do with the religious movement of free thinkers, which I wasn't even aware of until someone pointed it out to me. But it was think for yourself. Critically think. And I felt like the point had been well made. I mean, the blog was enormous. I don't even remember writing a lot of it, to be honest. I look back on it and I think, when did I write that? Anyway, so what I'm actually going to do here, I'm going to read a blog post. I think I wrote this in about 2014, but it's pretty valid. Most of the stuff in the blog was quite general and quite universal. It's called Cynicism and Free Thought. And the original inspiration was, I think it was in The Guardian, one of the English newspapers. And I saw an article while probably sitting in a coffee shop and... I got quite inspired and I wrote this, taking a few ideas from the article and then, again, using my own experiences and my own ideas to flesh it out. So I'm going to read it and then I will probably interject at various times. Cynical, realistic, positive, naive. Though individual experiences and attitudes inevitably vary between individuals, it is thought that around the age of 40 our cynicism starts to grow. This creates great material for satire, but is it a positive or negative development? Cynical is a word which creates a trigger that screams of negativity as soon as you hear it. 
but upon further investigation it may be that in the right hands, which would be the hands of an open-minded person prepared to research topics, to build on information fed to him or her through the regular channels, a sceptical attitude borne out by a sufficient number of facts is a healthy thing. So we're already running into a slight issue with definitions. So I said I'm an English teacher. I think dictionary definitions are, well, they're a little bit like the mainstream media. They give you a bare view, which you need to, to build on, to question and build on, basically. So cynic or sceptic. Anyway. It can allow development of ideas without over-caution and the creation of self-censorship in the mind. It makes us question things and maybe even take action. Cynical means, quote, believing that humans are motivated by base desires or selfishness, or being, quote, sceptical of the integrity, sincerity and motives of others. More strongly, a cynic can be, quote, bitterly or jadedly distrustful, contemptuous and or mocking. If a cynic is jaded, they are, quote, wearied, exhausted, callous and or insensitive, which seems to show a link between someone who's taken their knocks in life and with bitterness decided that life is shit and then you die. The cynic isn't always fun to be around and if he's relatively famous, might appear on television shows such as the BBC's Grumpy Old Men. The cynic moans and drags people down to their level of gloominess. So that Grumpy Old Men programme, it's not on the BBC anymore, but yes, it was a men of a certain age you could argue questioning or complaining <laughs> so we have a picture in our mind of the stereotypical world-weary middle-aged cynic but the other side of the argument is very telling for example a cynic needs to have it proved that someone in a position of power isn't self-serving and manipulative of course guilty until proven innocent is considered very base and unfair in terms of the law with the steady and constant stream of verifiable stories of corruption and scandal among those in powerful positions, along with the now well-recognised psychological effects of giving vast power to certain people, an optimist seems to be willingly sweeping aside sceptical doubts without having to go to the bother of checking if they are well-grounded. Now on the subject of power, there is a famous quote by one of my very favourite film directors, Stanley Kubrick, who definitely knew a few things. Be suspicious of people who have or crave power. Never, ever go near power. Don't become friends with anyone who has real power. It's dangerous. Of course, there are hundreds of levels of power, but he was talking about leaders in high positions. Of course, in a lot of hunter-gatherer tribes, they actually choose as a leader the person that doesn't want to be leader, which would make for quite an amusing presidential campaign. But anyway, the other thing about questioning leaders, again, I'm English, but in America we have a We've had a very interesting situation in that you've had Barack Obama, who was not popular with everyone, but was considered by... Yeah, you have to be very careful with this. I'm going to say, I was going to say liberals, but what would pass as non-extremists, let's say, would say Obama seemed like a cool guy. He was well-spoken, he seemed intelligent, seemed to care. And then you've had Trump, who of course has a certain voter base, but is considered odious and despicable among uh, lots of normal people. <laughs> yeah, really uh, fell into knots there. Anyway, my point is that whether it's Obama and Trump, the details are going to be different, some of the policies are going to be different, but there's a through line, there's a machine behind it all that hasn't changed. <laughs> 
And you'll see that as Joe Biden's presidency continues. He will reverse some of Trump's egregious stuff and he'll immediately be considered, if not a hero, then at least a refreshing return to normality. But the war machine will continue. The drone bombing will continue, almost certainly escalate. Whether you hear that or not depends on which news source you go to. So I'll continue with the blog post. I think that what we are really looking at is the issue of whether having a certain instinctive individual belief has come about through action and information gathering or a lazy and perhaps fearful retreat to a fixed view. A lazy cynic and a lazy optimist are equally bad. I don't really use the word sheeple. I think I used to use it. And I think there's validity to it. In that you can be a person who does simply follow others. But obviously it has a very, very patronising sense to it. Any basic research about what appears to happen in the world simply cannot rule out the crucial factor of vested interests and the corruptibility of humans in power. This is not a slur on the human race by any means. At worst, it is a slur on a certain human instinct. And the good, cynic, sceptic, realist, with a decent handle on human nature, is likely to also acknowledge the basic decency and generosity of humans. Very few people you meet are going to or want to do you harm. The toxic cynic, of course, may not believe in anyone at all, but what of the possible toxicity of the optimist? Now, just a word on that. I've read all of Robert Greene's books. His most famous one is The 48 Laws of Power, and he brought out a book about the laws of human nature a couple of years ago. It was a very, very interesting book. And one of the things about human nature is the dark side. So again, looking at this with 2021 eyes, I would say... Yes, there is a basic decency of people and people are not going to do you real harm in the main. But there is a dark side. There are games that are being played. There's a book that came out 40, 50 years ago now, perhaps 40 years ago, called Games People Play. That's worth a look. I wouldn't study that too much because then you, you might find that in all your future interactions, even with family members or your husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, you might start to think, well, what are they trying to get out of this? And a lot of the time it's unconscious. So anyway, I think being aware of your own dark side is a very good start to being truthful within yourself. So the possible toxicity of the optimist, their upbeat language could be chocolate-flavoured poison because it gives the impression that the system that runs the world isn't the problem, rather it's something wrong with certain people's brain chemistry. Apparently, some concoct wild conspiracy theories due to the need for excitement in their lives. This is something I covered in episode one, but it's the idea that if reality is deemed to be completely different from the reality we are fed through mainstream sources, then the person must be a conspiracy theorist, a lunatic. It can't possibly be that they have seen through the system. And then I make a reference in the blog, which I won't read, about the global financial crisis, which was largely blamed on citizens wanting something for nothing and overindulging their credit options. Often the poor get blamed. People will talk about benefit scroungers. Again, that exists. All these things that people talk about, they exist. But the corruption at the very top seems to be almost given a free pass. I don't know whether we are just too impressed by power, by famous people and people in high positions. Anyway, the reality is that the aforementioned good cynic uses a negative attitude as a means, a searchlight, not a lazy end, 
to cut through the crap and seek the truth. And they actually live a lighter life in the sense of a committed non-participation in things which analysis tells you are absurd or even immoral. The utter folly of consumerism, coupled with the well-known cynical and merciless treatment of humans and animals in war, or to produce certain items or act as entertainment, makes such non-participation an act of integrity. And it's nicer to have less pressure on yourself to follow all the things we are supposed to follow. Now, when I wrote this blog post, this was the year of... It was either the World Cup or the Olympic Games, and it was in Rio. And in the past, you know, I'd, I'd enjoyed the World Cup and the Olympic Games, and I could take them both nowadays as simply sporting events. But what I've written here... The Olympic Games and sport in general undoubtedly reveal a dark side when analysed. The good cynic has probably taken more time than the optimist to think of how cruel it is for the poor of a city to see the apparently precious coffers being spent relentlessly on what is, in the end, an unimportant spectacle outside the world of PR, which the public at large don't question thanks to the sacred feel-good factor these events create. Now, it's well known for those who study this that when the Olympic Games used to come to a city, the plus side was that the city would get lots and lots of hopefully positive PR, unless anything terrible happened, which generally didn't. But they would be paying for all the stadia and the other facilities that were created, put together, especially for the Games, and then not used. Now, one good thing that has happened is that um, a lot of uh, fields and pitches, etc., constructed for the Olympic Games do now get used. But really the idea of the city needing the publicity of the Olympics is quite absurd. London, for example. And we live in a different world now. People travel a lot more. And with regard to Rio, what would the poor think of that? To see all that money being spent? Yes, a lot of money comes in. But do you think it goes to the poor? I think the optimist would like to think so. So on the subject of the feel-good factor, society and the mainstream media seem to have a label, a tag, or an angle that can be placed on a person who questions and which people tend to follow. So a questioner of the whole idea of the Olympics is a killjoy. If you happen to be in your 30s or older, you're getting old or growing cynical. If you're very fortunate, you might even be called a nihilist. Definitions of nihilism include, quote, an extreme form of scepticism that denies all existence, a belief that all values are baseless and that nothing can be known or communicated, and a belief that traditional morals, ideas, beliefs, etc. have no worth or value. Note the subtle difference between the first two definitions and the third, which focuses on traditional values rather than all values. Substitute traditional for mainstream and change have no worth or value for should always be questioned and never be blindly believed to be true, and you have a healthy sceptic. Bit of a mouthful there, but... The idea is that nihilism can mean that you see through all the bullshit. So I stopped having a telly years and years ago, but last year I was in Liverpool for three months and the flat I rented already had a telly. And, you know, occasionally it was nice. There were a couple of programmes I'd like to watch. But I decided to, to spend a few hours watching it and study it, you know, use the time productively and think about what worldview is being presented to me here? And, you know, it's a little too much to go into here. I mean, I, again, I could easily do an episode about this in the future. But a lot of the subtle messaging 
which obviously is related to advertising, is that you're not good enough and you have to have this optimism and certain things are not to be questioned. That was the other thing that was very implicit. It wasn't said much, but it was out of the question that politicians might not have your best interests at heart. And, you know, I think we are growing sceptical of politicians. And again, you know, obviously when you get a character like Trump or we've got Boris Johnson here in England, certain people have decided that they're evil, so they are questioning it, but they're not really questioning... They're questioning those characters who are in that place at this particular time without really realising that there's a machine that goes on regardless. Now, whether you think there's a power behind the throne whether you think it's corporate leaders or a shadowy elite, whoever it is, have no doubt that there is a machine in progress. And I will undoubtedly do episodes on the media and I have a couple of friends who are journalists. So we're going to explore that, how people get their news and how it's consumed. I mentioned TED at the beginning. You know, TED Talks are great for certain areas, but they all come with an implicit sense that things are generally quite rosy and people have your best interests at heart and that's a form of toxicity as I wrote in this blog post as far as things not having any meaning there are a couple of things to say here anyone reading this can take the 10 minute test which takes a lot less than 10 minutes to actually do do it right now this minute here you go ask yourself if you suddenly found out you had 10 minutes to live how many of the things that are bothering you and holding you back now would mean anything at all In particular, how many of the small gripes that are irking you about those close to you or in your acquaintance and the small or large grudges that you're holding against people or the world in general would retain their significance at the very end of your life? I fully understand that serious illness, extreme suffering and premature death are exceptions to this rule, but mercifully few of us have to encounter these with any kind of regularity. For the majority, life seems to be mundane and rather humdrum, giving us time to stress ourselves out about all manner of things that our creative minds care to invent or give significance to. These kind of thoughts have no real meaning. In addition, we live on a planet with a surface area of 510 million and 72,000 square kilometres, which is home to over 7 billion people and anything between 10 and 30 million different species of animals. It may seem like a small world if you travel to Australia from England and happen to encounter the person who was your best friend at school, but would you want to clean it? And that goes back to... <laughs> a line that someone I was backpacking with 20 years ago said, uh, it's a small world, but I wouldn't want to clean it. You know, the vastness, if you look at it, is absolutely staggering. When you look at space, the numbers and proportions become astronomical. Rather than give you all the numbers here, I'm going to attach a video to this, which will make the point very succinctly, just about how utterly meaningless our lives are. But that's not a bad thing. Our lives do have meaning in its own context. It's like a sports match. I used to be into football. I used to watch England on a big flat screen in our local pub in the, when England were in the World Cup and usually lost on penalties. And we were so into it. But it was like a film that you get into. You know, it's like watching uh, Rocky IV, which I watched when I was a kid. You know, we cheered on Rocky, but we knew it was a film. This was real, you know, England were in the World Cup, but we knew it wasn't important. And then when England went out, I remember there was a guy I used to work with, and people used to say, oh, don't go near him for the next hour, as if it was some badge of honour that you're taking this, what's basically a load of blokes kicking around a bag of wind, seriously, that even after it's over, you can't speak to anybody. And I'm not having a go at football fans, you know, but 
I think in all these things we need to know what's really important or what's important only in its own context. And the point that was made earlier in this blog post about the cynic not buying into certain things. Valentine's Day is a good example. Again, people listening to this, maybe you love Valentine's Day. I'm not trying to rain on your parade. But I used to say to my girlfriend, any day can be Valentine's Day. Don't expect me to do anything special on February the 14th. You know, I might surprise you on, I might take you out for a quote-unquote Valentine's Day dinner on July the 31st. And we won't have to pay double and have it all contrived. Christmas is obviously another thing. Christmas has just gone by and was able to see my family in it on a limited basis. And I loved it, you know, not cynical about everything to do with Christmas, but I just don't buy into this thing of being told when to celebrate things, you know. Anyway, if you're finding this too cynical, we're nearly at the end. To say something is insignificant, worthless or meaningless is purely contextual as to whether it's good or bad. And bear in mind that this kind of language manipulation is willingly or otherwise used to persuade and to invade our free will on a daily basis. As life gets harder, faster and statistically worse for our mental health and happiness, which is provable, which is itself a strange development as we, quote, evolve and grow as a species and presumably as a society, the need for optimism and happiness seems to grow also. The daily grind of quiet misery means that we need smiles and positivity, even if it's just positive language without substance. But the good cynic, sceptic, non-believer, non-participant, etc. is perhaps more valuable and vital than ever if he can prove that he's done his research, thought about it, and arrived at what appears a pessimistic conclusion through a positive quest for the truth, not a bitter need to spread his own negative psychology onto others. In conclusion, spread love and happiness to your fellow man, but also question everything. Now, when I wrote that blog post, I was quite heavily involved with activist groups and some of what you've just heard might seem a little bit, that I was a little bit gung-ho about it. And perhaps I was, but I still think you should question everything. And I don't believe that what I've just read there is negative. I think it's reasonably useful. And I think it's making a point that is worth at least bearing in mind. So I haven't taken too much of your time here today. And let's see if I can get the next episode out quickly or whether the the procrastination rule will mean that my other two podcasts do better than this one for another week or two. We will see. But um, I have lots of contacts that I've made over the last few years and people who are willing to collaborate. So... We'll see what we come up with. As I mentioned, if you haven't heard the intro episode, this podcast is a search for inner and outer truth. And it will have two general strands, one of which will be more life coaching and psychology. The other one will be more to do with alternative media. Now, what I've just read today, in theory, has a little bit of both, but I feel that it's more the former. That's why you're getting the mellow music. Again, I mentioned on the intro episode that I've got two different themes one more mellow and one slightly more hard hitting so this is the mellow one but thank you very much for listening and i'll be back pretty soon with episode three of life and life only there is a facebook page also called life and life only there's a twitter handle at life only 75 and um, if you do like this then please subscribe podbean is where i host it from 
and that's uh, the link that you've probably clicked on but i'm on all the other podcast channels so if you would share it like it all that good stuff i'd appreciate it and i'll see you very soon thank you very much for listening and goodbye